Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Today is March 30th, 2022, and our first story The president of BlackRock is warning the, quote, entitled generation, strap on your seatbelts. We ain't seen nothing yet. Inflation is getting so bad that millennials, Gen Z, we're going to be facing very serious crises in the future with food shortages and inflation impacting us severely. This could potentially lead to major conflict. In our next story, Disney announces half of their content will be going woke with LGBTQIA characters and racial minorities. Interesting. Ron DeSantis slams Disney for supporting the activist line about don't say gay, saying Disney has gone too far, but several Disney employees have been arrested over child sexual exploitation, so strange. And in our last story, oh, Jon Stewart, how the mighty have fallen. Jon Stewart goes woke with the problem with white people and basically calls Andrew Sullivan a racist to pursue his woke racist narrative. Now, if you like the show, give us a good review, leave us five stars, and share the show with your friends. Now, let's get into that first story. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Tim Poole, and I will be the host of today's episode of Everything is Getting Worse, and it's time to start preparing. On today's episode from Fortune.com, BlackRock president warns the entitled generation to, quote, put on their seatbelts over speeding inflation, going on to say, we've never seen anything like this. Shortages are going to get bad. They've already been bad. Over the past two years, we've seen food prices skyrocket, difficulty in getting some food items periodically. And we even now have Donald Trump coming out and saying the U.S. is like a third world country because grocery stores don't have bread. Tiffany and hardware stores are missing products and furniture takes nine months to be delivered. A trucker has come out. Independent trucker Michael Whitaker saying, we're going to have a lot of bankruptcy over these rising diesel prices. My friends, everything is tied together. And as people like AOC come out and say the Democrats need to go further left, I didn't need only tell you that much of this is the fault of left-wing politics and Democrat policy. I'm not saying I think Republicans are the solution, But at the very least, we can ask some questions of, I don't know, the mass printing of money, the demands that we just arbitrarily increase wages. Why? You know, this one, this is what really gets me with the left when they're like, we need a $20 minimum wage. I'm like, you know, we've already got hyperinflation. Okay, that maybe that's an opinion, but we've already got rapid inflation. 
higher than we've seen since the 80s, and depending on how you measure it, higher than we've seen since World War II. The last thing we need to do is jam in policy to make the inflation worse. But that's what seems to be happening. And Joe Biden's failures in what's happening around the world in terms of foreign policy, foreign policy is having a huge impact, not to mention domestic policy on gas prices. It's a perfect storm. Joe Biden certainly deserves some of the blame. And I do believe that if Donald Trump had remained president, we would have averted much of this crisis. Why? Donald Trump securing our borders, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., But you see, all of these Democrats and media personalities just hated the mean tweets so much that they brought in the Democrat establishment, which has neglected our borders, neglected manufacturing, neglected U.S. energy independence. A storm was coming. Donald Trump may not have known to what extent the storm was coming, but he certainly sought to bunker down and prep. And this is such a great example of the the broken mentality between left and right. Donald Trump was this great American nationalist prepper saying, we got to do all of these things to make sure our country is secure. And the Democrats were the ones saying, he's hurting us. None of this matters. We need more international trade. It's like the ant and the grasshopper. Well, now that Joe Biden Democrats are reeling from this with abysmal polls and warnings from wealth management firms, now Joe Biden's coming out and saying, you know, we got to build American and secure our borders. And I'm a capitalist. Too little, too late, my friends. Millennials are struggling. Now, on a more silly note, avocado prices are through the roof. I think around like 80 or so percent. That is going to wake up a lot of people. And and you know, I'm half kidding, but millennials really want their avocados, ain't going to be able to get them. They were expensive as it is. But in reality, millennials are likely going to break away from the Democrats due to escalating home prices. Of course, many many of them may just keep doubling down being like, well, if I can't afford a house, the government should do something which is what's causing the problem in the first place. But I'm sure a lot of these people are going to say, I can't buy a house. So many millennials have moved to buy houses and they keep getting outbid by groups like BlackRock. So when he comes out and he's like, warning, brace for the worst, we're like, yeah, it's partly your fault, dude. But here we go, my friends. I don't know what's going to happen to U.S. millennials, but we're seeing shortages internationally, supply chain across the board. And we also have reports that in Spain and Germany, inflation has reached record levels. Gas prices are through the roof. So yeah, put on your seatbelt, ladies and gentlemen, and let's get ready for today's episode of Everything is Getting Worse and It's Time to Prepare featuring Tim Pool. Before we get started, my friends, head over to TimCast.com, become a member to help support the work we do. If you like watching the show about how everything keeps getting worse, And, you know, uh, apologies for constantly having uh, segments about how everything is getting worse. It's not always getting worse, truth be told. I'm kind of, you know, I'm half joking. It is getting bad. But if you like the videos I make, you like the work we do at TimCast.com, please become a member because that makes us censorship resilient in the event that we get booted off the web. We've got TimCast.com to keep the company floating. As a member, you'll get access to exclusive episodes of the TimCast IRL podcast with all of our awesome guests. That's up Monday through Thursday at 8 p.m. You'll keep our journalists employed and you'll, uh, uh, you will help us continue this work in the, in the event we get booted, as I stated. But don't forget to like this video. Smash the like button, subscribe to this channel, and share it. Click the share button, post it wherever you can. Grassroots marketing is more powerful than anything. So seriously, if you really do want to help and you don't want to be a member or you can't afford it, just share the videos. It's very powerful. Here we go with the first story from Fortune.com. BlackRock president Rob Capito warned 
that a very entitled generation of people would soon have to face shortages for the first time in their lives as some goods grow scarce because of rising inflation. For the first time, this generation is going to go into a store and not be able to get what they want, Capito said Tuesday at the Texas Independent Producers and Royalty Owners Association Conference, an annual oil and gas industry convention. We have a very entitled generation that has never had to sacrifice, Capito added. Without stating exactly which generation he was referring to, Capito said that many people who had always had everything available to them at the supermarket would soon face scarcity inflation, the consequences of shortages in anything from workers to oil, housing, or silicon chips. I would put on your seatbelts, because this is something that we haven't seen, said Capito, who co-founded BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, along with CEO Larry Fink and retired Vice President Susan Wagner. Now, which generation do y'all think he's referring to? I don't think I need to explain it. He's talking about millennials. Now, maybe a little bit of Gen X in there, but for the most part, he's talking about millennials. Why? Well, we had shortages, I believe, in the late 70s and 80s. Inflation was through the roof. Interest rates were insane. And a lot of Gen Xers were little kids at this time. And so they saw it to a certain degree. But you know what? It may be including Gen Xers because by the time they were old enough to go buy stuff, everything was always there for them. Now, truth be told, there have been shortages sometimes for some things, but now we're starting to see it get really bad. You know, as I pointed out, Donald Trump saying it's like a third world country in the U.S. because you can't get bread. I can throw it back to PlayStation 5. When the PS5 came out, it's still damn near impossible to get one. It's rough. But I'm not worried about PS5. If you got one, you got one. If you don't, you don't. So what? So whatever, right? Yeah, but when you can't buy bread, when you can't buy a house, change is coming. As Joe Biden stated, every three or four generations, some big change occurs. Well, I'm sorry. He said a a, a military officer in a secure meeting told him this. Thanks for revealing that, Joe Biden. And he mentioned a lot of people dying. And he said there's going to be a new world order. And we need to lead that new world order. Are they implying there's going to be some great catastrophe? I don't know. Fortune says inflation is already at a 40-year high in the U.S., and it is accelerating across the globe as Russia's war on Ukraine pushes oil prices to record highs, and COVID-19 supply chain issues exacerbate price pressures further. Price inflation in the U.S. hasn't been this high since the 80s. A Gallup poll published Tuesday reported that concerns over rising costs are the most pressing worry of just under one in five Americans. The annual inflation rate in the U.S. stands at 7.9%, the highest 12-month change since June 1982. BS, I say, BS. In 1982, we calculated inflation differently. It doesn't make sense to use a different calculation today and then compare it to a different calculation in the 80s. You're comparing apples to oranges. Now, I understand that systems change, the economy changes, and so they're trying to track what has the bigger impact on people. But if we were going to calculate inflation in the same way, then inflation today is worse than it's been since like 1944, 1940s, end of World War II. It's another morning and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late, you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield. 
the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash Carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash Carlson and save 20% today. They say the highest inflation ever was reached in March and April in 1980 when the price of West Texas intermediate crude peaked at $138.37 a barrel and inflation hit a record 14.6%. Ah, yes. But if you were to calculate U.S. inflation to the same rate, it would be higher using the same metrics, the same the same equation in Europe, which is more exposed to oil price shock due to its dependence on energy imports and proximity to Russia. Things are equally dire as the cost of living rises across the continent. Spain on Wednesday announced a 9.8 percent year on year rise in consumer prices an almost 40 year high that shocked many analysts. The inflation spike is due to generalized increases in most of the price baskets components, the country's stats office said in a statement, these included increases in electricity prices, in fuels and oil prices, and in food and non-alcoholic beverages. Germany is releasing its inflation data later on Wednesday. It is likely above 7% for March, according to Reuters, and already released regional data from five states has surpassed analyst predictions. I want to give you some key insights, my friends. I think they're mostly covering this up. I don't think it's entirely just a domestic policy or the Democrats printing money. I think I think the global economy is crumbling. And I think the Democratic establishment is desperate to maintain some kind of order, liberal world economic order, whatever they want to call it, via military force. But this could be the end of the petrodollar, the United States' global power structure. You want to know what that means for you? All right, let me explain it. When people in Europe want to buy oil, typically they got to buy dollars. They have to trade euros for dollars. This means the euro has to be valuable. Typically, it means, or simply put, that these countries need to export more than they import, so they're maintaining a strong currency. They're selling things to other people. If they don't, then it'll be harder for them to buy oil, and it'll be bad for their economy. In the United States, we just print money, and we tax people, so we just get it. And then we can just buy it. Yeah, for the most part, it's a bit more complicated than that. But we do control oil around the world. As rumors circulate of India and China getting off the petrodollar, as Saudi Arabia has reportedly told China that they'll do dealings with them in Yuan, and Russia has already demanded foreign countries buy their oil in rubles, you want to talk about prices going up, my friends? I hope you are ready for this one. And I'm not kidding. Now, I don't know exactly how long it'll take or what could happen or what will happen. But I'll tell you this, if the U.S. really does lose this position, we are not a massive exporter. What we have is military might. Without that, gas is going to be, what, eight, ten bucks a gallon? Milk is going to be ten bucks a gallon? Yep. You see, a lot of the reason, uh, one of the big reasons we get such, such cheap products is because we have Chinese slave labor. But when fuel goes through the roof and it's more expensive to transport these goods versus the labor costs out of China or Indonesia or Vietnam, we make these products in America. 
the prices are going to go way up, as will labor costs. Now, I think this will be good news in certain a certain sense. It will do away with a lot of the wealth inequality, but it's going to mean that you're not going to be able to buy certain luxuries anymore. Mm, the rich people certainly will, but that is what it is, I suppose. They go on to say, a Reuters poll of analysts pointed to an overall annual CPI rate of 6.3 for March, and the EU harmonized inflation figure overall price increase across all EU states is 6.7, blah, blah, blah. We get it. France, Germany, and Italy are seeing drops in consumer confidence as the result of price shock. In an effort to quell fears over foos, rising food, foosing, over rising food energy prices, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde insisted inflation will soon stop rising. We know you will see higher inflation this year. There is no question about that. But we are also seeing some of those factors that fuel inflation today, energy, food, energy and food that will stay high. But we don't forecast them to continue to move higher and higher. My friends, I hope you are prepared. Donald Trump compared the U.S. to a third world country, complaining that grocery, jewelry and hardware stores were all missing items during a Tuesday evening interview. This is from the Daily Mail. The former president appeared on Just the, Just the News a show on right-wing network Real America's Voice, where he was asked about what he would triage among the multiple crises plaguing the country if he were to run for office and win in 2024. These things we'd have never been talking about. I'll give you an example. Supply chain. You go to a store. You don't have bread. We're like a third world country. They don't have things. You go to buy something at Tiffany. You go to buy something at a hardware store. High, low, they don't have product. Tiffany is likely Tiffany & Co., a jewelry retailer. Quote, they say, even me, when I order things like for furnishings, for a building, for something, they say it's going to take nine months to get it. Used to be like same day service. Supply chain. We never even heard the term. It wasn't like the system was, uh, wasn't like the system was working. Under Joe Biden, the system is totally broken. Our system is broken and we're going into socialism and we're going into communism, Trump concluded or Trump uh, continued. I'm sorry. He went on to say he'd solve the migrant crisis at the southern border and then inflation, which uh, which we can do. Biden unveiled a five point eight trillion dollar budget proposal for fiscal year 2023 earlier this week, which includes hundreds of millions of dollars aimed at easing supply chain bottlenecks. Remember when they did that big old omnibus bill and gave 12 million or so dollars for Pakistani gender studies? How does that make sense? You know why it makes sense? They want to give away U.S. dollars so that everyone uses U.S. dollars. They have it, they'll spend it. And that facilitates the petrodollar. That's the game. Now, I suppose they could be giving this money away for things that made more sense, as opposed to like Pakistani gender studies, but sure, whatever. They say wave after wave of COVID-19 infections have brought on labor shortages, abrupt shifts in demand and lockdowns that have wreaked havoc on all supply chains. It's also the war. KBTX says effects of food shortages because of war can already be seen at grocery stores. During a press conference on his trip to Belgium, Biden announced the U.S. is going to be affected by food shortages following the sanctions that were placed on Russia. Broadly speaking, there are two kinds of shortages, the effects of which can already be seen and can be expected to continue into the future. The first is a food shortage. Wheat prices are up 21% and barley is up 33%. The second category is fertilizers, which are critical inputs into foods. The prices of fertilizers are already up for 40%. I actually believe it's substantially more than that. The reason for these shortages, Russia and Ukraine make up more than 30% of the global wheat market and are considered the breadbasket of Europe. Robertson noted that some people have speculated that was one of the reasons why Putin wanted to intervene was to control the breadbasket of Europe. You know what? Spare me. I'm not 
I'm not buying that. Putin doesn't care about bread. Though they get their food there, he wants control. He wants geopolitical control. And I'm sure bread may be a grain of sand, but in a heap. Robertson summarized the situation by saying, not only are we seeing some shortages due to supply chain disruptions, which affect supply, but also because the planting is not happening and the distribution is not happening. So the supply shock is what's driving up prices significantly. While the U.S. and its allies are trying to find ways to redistribute production, it's impossible to produce tons and tons of additional wheat, he pointed out. Here in Brazos Valley, unfortunately, for families and restaurant owners, some prices have already started going up. We've noticed a lot of prices, whether it's sunflower oil or wheat, or other types of products that use wheat and other vegetables or whatever, have already been rising And the message that we're getting is because of the crisis. We're expecting a lot more increase in prices into the medium term. So that's something that people can adjust to with their budgets by substituting away from different things. Yeah, but let's talk about gas, man. Let's talk about gas, man. Trucker and diesel prices. We're going to have a lot of bankruptcies. If truckers aren't transporting your goods, you will not have goods. If truckers can't transport goods because of fuel costs, you will not have goods. If truckers want to transport certain goods, they must raise their trucker prices. And raising those trucker prices and fuel prices results in more expensive goods, which results in more people demanding higher wages, which results in more inflation before the system ultimately crumbles. You know, some people have pointed out that if, the, if we were in the 80s, we would have gotten massive infla- uh, uh, interest rates, 20% or so to compete, to combat what's happening. But no one has the balls to do it today. Yahoo Finance says independent trucker Michael Whitaker is getting ready for his next haul of equipment from South Carolina to Arizona. He's been an owner-operator since 98. These diesel, the diesel prices, that's every truck driver's main expense. It's diesel. Whitaker says at the beginning of the year, it cost $600 to $700 to fill up his truck. Now he's paying about $1,000. You notice it in your pocket, says the Iowa-based trucker. Whitaker says he used to charge around $5 a mile on certain routes. Now he's charging between $7 to $9 per mile. He also uses a discount fuel card, an app which identifies the most economical stations where he can fill up on his routes. Although the industry standard is to apply a fuel surcharge to freight costs, drivers don't always see that money passed along to them. Saying, we're making the assumption that the drivers would all be recipient of fuel surcharges, and that's not necessarily always the case. Said Todd Spencer, president of the owner-operator Independent Drivers Association. Sometimes others that would be intermediaries or similar in trucking They may keep some of it, they may keep all of it, and not pass it through. Now, that does happen as well. It shouldn't, but it does. As of last Monday, the cost of diesel was $1.94 higher than it was a year ago. For our guys, the majority of truckers will burn between $18,000 to $20,000 gallons of fuel a year. So looking at those costs, you're talking about $90,000 to $105,000 a year just on fuel. Most goods are hauled around the country by truck and rail using diesel fuel to power their engines, and diesel prices are going up more than gasoline prices, strategist Andy LePau wrote in a recent email to investors. FedEx, UPS, and Amazon delivery services are all being impacted by the soaring diesel prices, and they eventually are going to have to raise their rates. So pay attention, because it'll hit everything. Millennials, I warn you, my friends. Price of avocado and guacamole climb 81% to $39 per 9-kilogram box, the highest in 24 years, as supplies tighten in Mexico after temporary U.S. ban on imports. 
you know what, man? Maybe this one's going to make, make the millennials finally wake up. They're going to walk into their hipster cafe and say, look, I just want to get a double shot of espresso and uh, some avocado toast. Deconstructed, of course. Let me slice the avocado. And they're going to say, um, no, yeah, we're all out of avocados. And then it's just going to be chaos. Millennials running through the streets, smashing windows, screaming. Ah, and, you know, but let's, let's be real. I actually think this will piss off a lot of millennials. Avocados are really good, and they're, they're quite popular among millennials, popular among everybody. But no, I think this will contribute. When we saw the Black Lives Matter riots in 2020, it wasn't just about George Floyd. People were angry. They were locked in their cubicle apartments. They wanted out. They wanted to vent. And they were angry about other things, too. Shortages, job loss. That first month of the pandemic, our revenue at Timcast dropped by over 50%. It was massive or around there. I don't know the exact number, but it was massive. And I was legit worried. I was like, whoa, revenue is way down. So it's troubling. It's particularly troubling. Now, guacamole. Okay, fine. I suppose that's a silly thing to complain about. How about home prices? Case Schiller index rose 19.2% as inventory of homes for sales falls to new low. I I hope you guys understand the problem of wealth inequality. It doesn't matter if, there's a, if it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter if someone's allowed to be a billionaire. What matters is when wealth inequality gets to a certain level, people revolt, period. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen. BlackRock. They come out here and they're like, eh, you know, look at all this. Eh, put on your seatbelts, huh? BlackRock and Blackstone, they're buying up houses for rental properties. They're not the only ones doing it. They're not the most egregious, or maybe they are, but um, they're, they're, they're not the overwhelming majority, but they do own a lot of property. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from people seeing a house being listed on the market, goes for maybe like 200K, and they'll say, you know, I'll bid 200, I'll, I'll bid asking. They get outbid by somebody else. That's crazy. Now's a good time to be selling your house. But truth be told, you know, some people are saying it's not a good time to buy. I don't know what's going to happen in uh, a year or so. Some people are like, no, 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 wait, things will cool down. Yo, they said that one year ago. No joke. A year ago, everyone was like, no, 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 you know, things are going to cool down. Now's not a good time to buy. When is a good time to buy? After the global economy collapses and houses go abandoned and you pick them up for a buck? Maybe, I guess. And maybe that's where we're headed. So I wonder, is now the time to sell? I suppose if you own a bunch of properties, you're going to get a great price for your property. But what if it keeps going up? Then you can't buy back in. So no. Me, I think if you can get a house, you want to own as soon as you can. But that's just me. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do because for all I know, it is a bad idea. The Wall Street Journal reports, home price growth accelerated in January as the supply of homes for sale fell to a new low. The S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller National Home Price Index which measures average home prices in major metro areas across the nation, rose 19.2% in the year that ended in January, compared with an 18.9 annual gain the month prior. Home prices rose at a record pace in 2021 and have continued to climb this year as home buying demand strongly outpaces the supply of homes for sale. Now, um, I live in West Virginia, and we're building a new headquarters at another property in West Virginia investing a lot into West Virginia properties where there seems to be a decent amount. The crazy thing is there were, there were a bunch of houses about a year and a half ago, two years ago that we were looking at. You want to know something crazy? I'll just tell you something crazy. 
I bought a house and within like a week, its value went up like 30 grand. And that scared the crap out of me. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has a over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's ARKseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. Arcseedkits.com. I was able to get this deal done and fast because the person I was buying from didn't want to bother and was, was, was just getting rid of it and said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. But I know a lot of people that are going through brokers and, and agents, and these deals crumble because someone outbids or the prices skyrocket or the appraiser comes in and says, actually, the house is worth more than you're selling it for because of what's been going on, making it impossible for millennials to actually get jobs. Shortages stress, stretch across health across healthcare supply chain. I bring all of this up because I think we're on the verge of a civil war. And, I, and, and, you, and, and, I, and I'll tell you, it's not, it's not going to be what you think it is. And it's not, people see, seem to think that I'm talking about the Mason-Dixon line when I bring this stuff up. But um, revolution may be another way to say it. Civil war. Look at Syria. You had like a dozen different factions all fighting for control. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have the North versus the South. I think you're going to have widespread violence and uncertainty as to who controls things. I'm pretty sure populist Republicans can agree, can agree there's a lot of problems here. The populist left can as well. But there's a problem when you can't pay off your student loans, so you're destitute. You can't afford health care, so you're permanently injured or disabled, and it's hard to work. You can't find food. I mean, come on. I would say revolution normally. You know, when you look at a lot of these Arab Spring nations, these things swirl together to make a, a bake a revolution cake, as it were. But right now, on top of that, you have disparate factions. You have the left and the right. You have all of the subcategories in between. Boogaloo, boys, Antifa, proud boys, conservatives, libertarians, civil libertarians, all these different factions. Some of them are proper noun factions like Antifa, and some are just various groups of people like civil libertarian. But if it ever came to the United States facing some kind of governmental collapse due to the cost of goods, it won't result in people just saying, yay, new government. It's going to result in people saying, new government, no, no, my new government, no, my new government. Then people are going to be fighting. Healthcare, man. It's scary stuff. Let me show you what, what, what I'll show you what I think is, is the end of days for the United States, for the United States, right? Not, not the apocalypse of the world. NBC News reporting, biggest fraud in a generation, the looting of the COVID relief plan known as the PPP. The official in charge of the COVID relief tells NBC News Lester Holt that programs like PPP were structured in ways that were an invitation to fraudsters. They bought Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Bentleys, and Teslas. Many who participated in what prosecutors are calling the largest fraud in U.S. history, the theft of hundreds of billions of dollars in taxpayer money, 
intended to help those harmed by the coronavirus pandemic, couldn't resist purchasing luxury automobiles. Also mansions, private jet flights, and swanky vacations. We here at TimCast never took any of that PPP money. And I was scared. I was worried. But this, I say why I believe it's the end of days for the U.S. is because so many people saw this and said, now's my chance. These are the kind of people that would push you into the, into the you know, push you in, in the way of gunfire to protect themselves. I was talking to um, some advisors. I'll keep it relatively vague because it has to do with, you know, private employees and things like that. Uh, third party companies that we, we, we retain for certain uh, legal and financial uh, um, advice. And they told us we should absolutely apply for the PPP. And I said, why? And they were like, well, everyone's applying for it. And, you know, you shouldn't walk away. You're eligible for large sums of money to help pay for your employee costs. And I said, when, you, they, they, when they send it to you, you know, they made it seem like everybody just gets it, you know? Our revenue did drop to the point we were nearly in the red. We stayed in the black for the most part, but we were, we were getting close. Of course, I'm uh, partic- particularly, I don't know if the right word is, frugal, and I save heavily and prepare for the future. So I was like, look, you know, the worst case scenario is we're, we're, gutting, we're, we're, we're gutting our savings, but we can operate for several months. Maybe we'll have to downsize or, or, or you know, people will be furloughed or something, whatever you'd call it for a private company. But I don't know if I want to do this. What they told me was, even though you're scraping by right now, just barely above the red, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's irresponsible not to accept the loan. And I was just like, maybe it's a good point, maybe. And they said, you don't understand you do need it because you're paying your employees and you're not putting into your savings and that could negatively impact your company. And I said, no, I, uh, I was like, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to be involved with it. I don't have anything to do with what the government is doing. The taxpayers, you know, they, they do this. And now you see what's happening. All of these fraudsters. Now, okay, there's a big difference between my company and, you know, someone trying to buy a Ferrari or something. But this, I think, was a big trap for a lot of people. Because you have all these people being like, yeah, yeah, just take it, just take it. Yeah, no, it's the largest fraud, theft of taxpayer money. Everybody speeds, right? Sometimes you still get pulled over. I don't play that game. Obviously, there's a reasonable thing to do when you're driving on the highway. You got to stay with the flow of traffic. Otherwise, it's more dangerous and you can get in trouble for that. But when I saw everybody dumping into this PPP stuff, I was like, leave me out of it. Tim Cast will not um, be involved in this. And I think it was the right move. It was the right move because what it really turned out to be was a slush fund for people to just strip money out. A lot of people really needed it. That's true, though. A lot of people genuinely had their restaurants closed and their employees were without work. They needed it. We were operating. We were, we were uh, just narrowly above the red. And I'm like, we're not even going into debt. Like, I'm not touching this stuff. How many people did and exploited it? How many people were willing to say, I will gut my own country? It's brutal, man. You know, I think about you have a bunch of roommates and they all put money in a jar for like the emergency fund. And then one day everyone's like, oh, you know, look, it's, it's raining and we're hungry. I guess we're going to dip into the emergency fund. And you get a handful of your roommates who just take the money to go buy pizzas and jewelry. And then, you know, I'm sitting there watching it happen, being like, we all pooled in money to protect each other. And y'all just gutted it for personal gain. There's no community anymore. Shortages. Food prices are in the gutter. Democrats screaming at Republicans and vice versa. Joe Biden burning the country to the ground. 
And here we are. So, my friends, the millennial generation and younger, in for a big wake-up call, I suppose. Now, some people have said that uh, the millennial generations have already experienced hardship several times. A pandemic, the financial crash of, crash of 08. We're just getting out of college looking for jobs. And what's that? No jobs available. And that's what was happening. So millennials have certainly had some bad stuff. But ultimately, though, they've just been able to get whatever they want despite all of these problems. Not anymore. So where do you think it's going to go? Now, the damn AOC and the progressives are saying you got to go further left, but that's only making the problem worse. So maybe that's what'll happen before it all falls down. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Anyone who opposes the parental rights and education bill in Florida is telling you they want adults to have secret sexual conversations with children aged four through nine years old. Why? I mean, a legitimate question, why? Why do people, adults, want to have conversations with children ages four through nine about sexual situations? I call those people groomers, and I genuinely believe a large portion of them pedos. I don't think every single person who is opposing the bill is cognizant of what the bill even says. I think it's possible a lot of these people are just tribal and going along with what the narrative is, what they're wrong. So regardless of what we assume they know, what we believe they probably know or don't know, the fact remains, we can't read people's minds. So when a bill is introduced that says sex ed effectively, sex ed, for kids preschool to third grade, not appropriate. And, and you can still have private conversations with these kids about all this stuff, but you can't have secret. The parents have a right to know. Whether they know or not, they are absolutely in support of adults having secret sexual conversations with children aged four through nine years old. You need only read the bill. Nowhere does anywhere in the bill does it say don't say gay. So perhaps what we're dealing with is dangerously stupid individuals, dangerously. And it's scary. But we can see where this goes. Disney is the story. Disney president, who is the mother of a transgender and pansexual child, says she wants at least half of all future characters to be LGBTQIA or racial minorities. Theme parks are now banned from saying hello, boys and girls. I'm curious as to the, the, the age of this individual's uh, uh, children, because I don't believe children can be uh, uh, sexual anything. So it would be strange to me if, if she's talking about prebubescent kids, but sure. What I think we're seeing here is that Disney has a history of predatory behavior, grooming. There's, uh, of course, we talked about on the show the, the, the urban legends of Disney movies where in The Lion King, for instance, Simba lays down and the flowers come up and spell sex. Or there's the cover of The Little Mermaid. And then there's the, uh, uh, the, the line from Aladdin about teenagers taking off their clothes. Of course, all of these are disputed. So I'm not saying any of these things are true. I'm saying there is an apocryphal history. Maybe apocryphal is not even, the, not even a fair assessment. There is a recurring theme of Disney putting in sexual imagery in their, in their cartoons, which is strange. Now, as for this Disney president, we also have, uh, uh, I'll be careful here, 
We have a story from March 16th. Four Disney employees were arrested in Polk County human trafficking campaign. Yeah, it was children. And then we have this meme post from Five Times August. It's not really a meme. It's a collage of articles. Four Disney World employees are arrested. Then we have the story from August 2021. Three Disney World employees in child uh, uh, abuse sting, we'll call it that. Disney security guard shows up buck naked to human trafficking sting. Walt Disney World employee tried to arrange with a child. Oh, man. Disney World Legoland employees among 11 arrested. This is from 2018. Florida child sting nets former workers from Disney and SeaWorld theme park employees caught in stings. Man, these news stories keep coming out every so often. Now, truth be told, you can probably find people being arrested in tons of, of industries and at various jobs. But it makes sense that, it is, that, that it's Disney. If you want to exploit and get access to children, then what better place to work than Disney? So let's talk about what Disney is doing now. Certain themes, I believe, make no sense for children. But here's the argument from, I'll give you the legitimate, the real argument from the, from the left versus uh, what's actually happening, of course. When you watch a movie, you'll see a man and a woman hug and kiss, uh, or they'll be married. There's moms and dads. The left argues this is only right-wing representation. Only traditional marriage is represented to children. A two-year-old could be watching a movie, and they will see themes of heterosexual marriage. And thus, they say, themes of homosexual marriage, uh, LGBTQIA, should be in all of these things as well. Now, I don't completely disagree. And, And to be completely honest, I mostly don't care. I've been watching DC's Legends of Tomorrow. This is a really great example of um, me not caring. I'll tell you why. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show. It's a CW show. I, I, I like it. It's a little campy. But um, in the show, it's a bit woke, you know, a little bit, but not over the top. They don't say like white privilege or anything. But uh, there's, there's a few gay characters. Uh, one of the lead characters is a, a gay married woman at this point, uh, lesbian, two women. Yeah, I, I really don't care. I think it's 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 characters, and I have no problem with someone writing a story that has people do these things. It's meaningless to me. But what I find fascinating about this show is one of the underlying themes of Legends of Tomorrow, at least in the early seasons, because I'm still in the early season, is that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that God is real. And uh, I just find that strange. I find it strange, this, this juxtaposition. Let me clarify. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, the second season came out in 2017, so it's been five years. The second season is um, mostly the heroes trying to reconstruct the spear of destiny, the spear that was used to stab Jesus, because it holds tremendous power, power effectively to rewrite history. The underlying premise, and this was surprising to me, is that all of the characters just know that Jesus is Lord. And I'm just, it's, it's not overt in the sense that they come out and they say it all the time. But it's like the underlying premise of the Spear of Destiny. The blood of Jesus Christ has granted the Spear tremendous power. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, it's, it's interesting to see a show have that line, especially nowadays. And in fact, they seek out a lost vial of the blood of Christ. And I'm just like, huh, you know? There's another scene in the third season where one of the characters actually tells a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, what is it, 1000 AD Vikings that Jesus is the one true God to celebrate Christmas. And it's really just fascinating to me. I bring this up because I'm not Christian. 
Now, I believe in God. I'm not Christian. I don't follow the theistic teachings of any of these religions. But I don't care. I don't cry and spit and yowl that there's religious uh, underpinnings in the show. And I'm not going to cry and freak out that one of the characters happens to be gay married. That I have no problem with. The issue is the grooming. That's the issue. Now, I will point out there is something quite annoying in what the Disney president is doing here with like half of all characters. Half of all people are not this, you know, are not a a, a very specific. uh, I I say this in in reference to the story is, but it's it's disparate. Half of all characters in the real world are not LGBTQIA or uh, at least the United States for the time being racial minorities that action I, I can actually understand to a certain degree. If we're getting to the point where the United States is around, what, like 70% white, then you should, you'd, you'd see around 30% representation for people who are racial minorities. The problem is they're overcompensating to an extreme degree, and it doesn't feel representative. You know, when I watch a movie, and uh, actually, I'll tell you this. I was playing uh, um, Horizon Forbidden West, and boy, did I notice that almost every single side quest I'm getting is, is from some frumpy, shaven-headed woman or some, like, overweight woman. And I'm just like, look, man, let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just be a regular person. I'm a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. When I play a video game and I'm going off and fighting to fight, you know, fighting robots to save the world or whatever, I don't care if you're like, we want representation for women. I'm like, yeah, 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 the main character is a female. And you get you put a bunch of female characters in it. And I'm like, cool, whatever. Half of all people, just a little bit more than half, are female. So it makes sense that in a, this this futuristic post-apocalyptic wasteland, you're going to run into a lot of women. I mean, that that makes absolute sense. Also, I'm not a fan of video games making female armor bikinis. Like, if a man or a woman are going into battle for whatever reason, because they have to, because of the apocalypse, like, they're going to wear real armor. But anyway, at a certain point, I'm like, you raid these rebel camps, and I'm just beating women. I'm like, like 70% of the people who are running out and screaming are just women. And then when it comes to uh, doing quests, there's a handful of quests where I'm just like, I get it. The men have become injured and are weak and the women are the only ones who can, who can help. Overcompensating. There's a reason why movies and games typically were like all male for a while and heroes were all male. And it's because men were the ones going off to war and going off to work. Now you want to talk about equality or equity, then it makes sense that you'd have, you know, in, in certain stories, half the characters being women and the women talking about talking to things, uh, talking to each other about things other than men. But that's not what we're getting. We're getting this creepy overcompensation. Now, I think with Disney, it's actually a bit more nefarious than just that. Take a look at this story from TimCast.com. Florida kindergarten teacher frets on MSNBC about not being able to talk to students about his boyfriend. Why are you talking to kindergartners about your boyfriend? Why are you having classroom discussions about your boyfriend? That's what the bill would restrict. I mean, technically, it wouldn't even restrict this. The bill would restrict him from talking about sexual orientation and identity. You can certainly mention you have a boyfriend. Ah, that's not the issue, though. The issue is he wants to get specific with kindergartners about what it means to have a boyfriend. Now, that seems inappropriate to me. I don't even think you should be talking to kindergartners about your husband or wife. And first of all, this personal stuff I don't think should should take place in the classroom. But this is so strange. The teacher, Corey Bernert, said that he wants to be able to talk to his young students about his love life. You know, it's twofold. It really hits hard in my heart professionally and personally. 
Professionally, it truly makes me feel like I am not a trusted as a, not trusted as a professional. I know my kindergarten standards through and through, and nowhere in our curriculum does it have anything to do about teaching sexual orientation or identity. So uh, what's the problem, dude? So for them to say that that's happening, you know, it's kind of crazy, but we should be able to have discussions. And that's what we're encouraged to do in kindergarten. Personally, because my kids do have questions, they want to know who my partner is and uh, and pictures outside the classroom, and I should be able to speak to them. Why? You know, I remember my kindergarten teacher. She never talked about her husband. We didn't know who her husband was. We did ask questions about like where the Duplos were. We did have basic reading and math and stuff like that. We did have those kinds of questions. But in my opinion, the only reason a five-year-old, kindergarten age, is going to be asking questions about this is because you've presented the concept to them. People can't ask questions about things they don't know. As we get older, we retain more and more information. And because of that, we end up with lots of questions. Uh, Someone might come to you and say, did you know that uh, energy cannot be created or destroyed, only changed? And you say, ah, interesting. And then a few years later, someone might come to you and say, did you know that we've discovered multiple dimensions? At least we believe so through physics and math. And you say, hey, wait a minute. I have questions about these two ideas coming together. If you don't know about either the concept, you can't ask. You can't connect the dots. For this teacher to say that his kids have questions about his boyfriend would imply that he has introduced the concept to them. Now, it's entirely possible uh, that other people outside of the school have. Kids can certainly be exposed to news and, and their parents and conversations. And they might ask, my parents were saying something. And he need only say this. Well, have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Tim Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, That's 877-646-5347. You're all very young. And perhaps when you're older, there will be a time for questions about these issues, but perhaps not appropriate for you at five years old. I could say something like that. I'm a firm believer in treating children when it comes to education, uh, speaking to them like adults. I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm careful here. What I was going to say is treating. What I mean to say is speaking to them as if they're adults. That is to say, if a young child who's five comes to me and says, I want a candy bar, I'm not going to go, no, you can't have one. I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to Google. I'm going to say, well, you can't have a candy bar because it's full of full of crap and it's bad for you. But uh, how about something that's better for you? And then I'll and, and perhaps people are saying this is me being cold. But this is this is how I, I you know, I, I would talk to my, my nieces and nephews. I would simply say, 
candy's not good for you, you know, so you can have it as, as a treat, but uh, you'd probably be better off eating something like, you know, a sandwich. So, yeah, I think you should talk to kids as if they're, you should speak to them on, on relevant subjects and appropriate subjects, but as if they're adults. Don't Google Gaga, don't lie, don't downplay, don't obfuscate. I'm not a fan of any of that stuff. TimGas.com goes on to say the bill does not forbid teachers from saying gay, despite the media incorrectly branding it, don't say gay. Quote, absolutely, you are 100% correct. Bernard agreed. That's what we do as educators. We build relationships with our kids. In order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. No, you don't. No, you don't. What you do on weekends. No, absolutely not. No, you don't. Never, never did I experience that. I went to public school in Chicago my teacher didn't walk in in any grade and be like, so I was hanging out with my husband this weekend. Never had, never, never had those conversations. It's crazy to me. Now, there were some things, don't get me wrong, where I think one teacher got married. And, it, and, and you know, I'm not going to be in tomorrow. It's my, mar- it's my wedding. It's like, oh, wow, congratulations. And that was it. That was it. Truth be told, however, teachers did have pictures of their significant others on their desk. Perhaps a kid might see that and ask questions about it. I believe if a student goes up to a teacher and says, who's that a picture of? The teacher can say, my significant other, my husband, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever. This guy could do the same thing. The law doesn't forbid him from doing it. If they say, you have a boyfriend, what does that mean? They can say, well, perhaps not an appropriate discussion for a five-year-old. But here's here's the issue for everybody. If a child walked up to this teacher and saw the photo and said, what's it mean to have a boyfriend? The bill does not bar the teacher from explaining it to the five-year-old. That was a lie. It was a lie put forth by groomers because what they really want to do is have broad discussions with the entirety of the class secretly about sexual issues. That's why they're complaining. Now, truth be told, Many of these people don't know why they're complaining. Ron Perlman put out a video where he was like, don't say. He does this thing where he like curls his chin up to like mush his double chin and make it. I don't know why he does that. It's weird. He like grabs a phone and he like mashes his face. And he's like, don't say. Don't say as in a political leader saying don't say the First Amendment. Ron Perlman, dude. Wow. Seriously. Read, please. There's no such thing as the don't say gay bill. It does not exist. Okay, doesn't exist. Ron DeSantis certainly never called it that. He's probably criticized the idea of it being called Don't Say Gay by the people who made that up. But Ron Perlman is complaining about something that was entirely made up that nobody said. Nobody, 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 uh, it doesn't exist. And that's the problem. Many of these people, they don't, they don't read. They watch MSNBC. And if you watch MSNBC, you're going to believe this garbage. But if you actually go to the Florida uh, government website, which is what I did, and read the bill, you can see that, sure, sure, many amendments, because that's the point of the process. Republicans proposed a bill. Democrats said amendment, amendment. Republicans said, okay, fine. And they came to a compromise. And in my opinion, it doesn't go far enough. And uh, uh, in no way does it prevent these teachers from having these conversations, which is kind of messed up if if you ask me. Teachers can still have sexual conversations with four-year-olds. The only thing now is they can't tell the four-year-old not to tell their parents. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why these teachers, the ones who know what's going on, are actually worried about it. The groomers are worried the children will go and talk to their parents.
Now, I may add, however, they say Bernard, uh, Bernard said he will continue to speak to his students about his love life. That is inappropriate. That's completely inappropriate. I don't understand why a kindergarten teacher would be talking about his weekend with his lover to five-year-olds. My kindergarten teacher never did that. The people I know who are kindergarten teachers don't do that. I don't. Florida, what's going on, huh? Well, here we are. Ron DeSantis says Disney crossed a line with criticism of the parental rights and education bill. The bill was signed. Disney, of course, being groomers and putting grooming into their content. Yeah, you know, they're clearly upset about it. DeSantis lashed out at Disney executives on Tuesday, one day after they condemned the parental rights and education bill. New York Post uh, 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 as well. Thomas Barabi, who wrote this, stop calling it don't say gay, dude. Okay, why don't you do some real journalism and call it the parental rights and education bill, which it is, because don't say gay in no way applies to what the bill does or is. It's a Democrat PR firm generated line. It's just activism. And New York Post keeps doing this. Such garbage. Quote, for Disney to come out and put a statement and say that the bill should have never been passed and they're going to actively work to repeal it, I think one was fundamentally dishonest, but two crossed a line. The state is governed by the interests of the people of the state of Florida. It's not based on the demands of California corporate executives. They do not run this state. They do not control this state. Bravo, good sir. But uh, the president of Disney wants to groom your kids. Because, uh, look, groomers, you know, I, that's what we, we got we to gotta call these people out. Grooming is uh, defined as trying to uh, indoctrinate a child into a sexual, political, or religious ideology. And you absolutely can call anybody, when it comes to religion or sex or otherwise, a groomer. Groomer typically refers to, however, colloquially, more sexualized things. But ideology can, people can be, you can groom children for that. What I mean to say is, Someone who is having secret conversations with the child and telling them to keep it a secret from their parents, in my opinion, is bad. I don't care what they're, they're, they're grooming the kid to do. When it comes to religion, children should ask questions. Children uh, should be uh, talking with their parents. There should be honest conversations when the parents deem it appropriate, in my opinion. When it comes to conversations about homosexual or heterosexual marriage, I believe that it is up to the parents to decide. And some parents may decide that four through nine is appropriate for their kids, but it shouldn't be in secret at the very least. And that's true for any conversation about philosophy, ideology, religion, or otherwise. Of course, I'm not trying to equate religion, philosophy, and ideology with sexual conversations. For obvious reasons, there is a younger age threshold for different concepts. A four-year-old is entirely age-appropriate for learning about religion. Uh, we're learning, learning about philosophy. And in fact, I think they should be learning about great moral questions at a young age. But there's a reason why we say kids shouldn't be learning about sex, and it's because they are prepubescent. But again, parents should have the right to decide what is appropriate for their kids. Not creepy groomers in schools who want to have sexualized secret conversations with kids. That's weird. So this bill is a good thing. It doesn't prevent the teachers from talking about these issues. It prevents them from curriculum based on these issues. In fact, this, this, this teacher in Florida, pro- nothing's probably stopping him from telling the entirety of the class that he has a boyfriend. But here we are. You know, it's funny because back in you know, 2000s, they were like, 
the 2008 or whatever, they, they were, the memes were, or the Republican argument, conservative argument was that gay marriage would lead to all of this stuff. And the left, you know, it was a caricature straw man of what they, what they believed for the most part. No, it won't. It's not going to happen. Here we are with, with people trying to teach kids about sex in secret. Well, there you go. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Jon Stewart has officially gone woke. His new segment, titled The Problem with White People, is getting a lot of attention for being woke, racist. And in a segment he had with Andrew Sullivan, he called Sullivan racist, and they mocked Sullivan because he was pushing back on this idea that there is a problem with white people. Ah, how the mighty have fallen, my friends. We all remember The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, which popularized pop culture politics. And in a lot of ways, it was a good thing. In a lot of ways, it was a bad thing. For people like me and my friends, Jon Stewart helped bring politics into the forefront because it was, well, he made it enjoyable. He made it something we cared about. And there was good in that. And there was also bad in that pop culture politics ultimately got really, really bad. And a lot of what Jon Stewart did was fairly tribalistic. However, I can throw it back to when Jon Stewart praised Project Veritas and on more than one occasion to explain why I was a fan of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Now, my friends, recently Jon Stewart launched his show. It's called The Problem with Jon Stewart. Yes, there is a problem with Jon Stewart, but his show is meant to be The Problem blank featuring Jon Stewart, right? That's the joke. Ha 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 ha. A lot of people wondered why it was that Jon Stewart resigned from The Daily Show. And there's been much speculation. One of the bits of speculation was that Stewart, this is around the Trump era, knew he would not be able to survive a hard transition. So he hid to weather the storm and emerged after he felt it was safe. To put it simply, The Daily Show with Jon Stewart was civil libertarian. They defended and supported Project Veritas's reporting on Acorn, though he mocked, you know, uh, James O'Keefe for the way he dressed and made jokes. Ultimately, he was saying it was great work. Civil libertarian is where most boomers are and most people in this country were up until the mid 2010s when you saw the media and institutions get taken over by wokeness. I still genuinely believe most people in this country are civil libertarians. So it doesn't mean big libertarian party libertarian. It means most people are like, you know, let's 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 be honest, a bit pragmatic and try and sort things through. John Stewart, in my opinion, knew that if he stayed on his show, a hard shift was coming and he would not be able to come out say certain things because it wouldn't make sense for his character. Why would Jon Stewart, who praised Project Veritas and defended the rights of comedians and offensive jokes within the span of only a few years do a complete 180? Now, he sort of did that, but he did disappear. And a lot of people were like, he'd be forced to defend Donald Trump. Ah, but he, he avoided that one, right? Jon Stewart was gone throughout the Trump administration. I, th I think only near the end of the Trump administration did he come out uh, I start speaking and things like that. But imagine what a Jon Stewart would have looked like during a Trump administration. He wouldn't be calling out Fox News. He'd be calling out CNN. As, as he often did on his show, he would call out Fox News, conservative media, and other journalists as well. But he, in order to be honest, to be who he was, to maintain his core audience, he would have to do what I do. Granted, I'm not a comedian, so I don't write jokes for these bits Sometimes I say things that people find funny, but I'm not writing any jokes. I'll just say something in exasperation and people will say they laughed at it. 
It's not my intention to be a comedian. Sometimes I just say things because it's frustrating or there are points to be made. But here we are. John Stewart used to host the funniest show on TV, and now he struggles to read propaganda off a teleprompter. So saith Chrissy Mayer, live from January 6th out now. Chrissy, what's that all about? Comedy special, I'd imagine. That's right. John Stewart ran a segment called The Problem with White People, and oh, how the mighty have fallen. Fox News reports John Stewart audience laughs as he appears to agree guest Andrew Sullivan is racist. Incredible. New, Fox News reports John Stewart, former Daily Show host, appeared to agree with guest Lisa Bond that British American author and political commentator Andrew Sullivan is a racist. Charles Gallagher, Lisa Bond of Race to Dinner, and Sullivan joined Stewart to discuss how white Americans can take responsibility for upholding racist systems. Sullivan asserted that calling today white supremacy, you are minimizing actual white supremacy, asking Stewart to elaborate on the racist systems that were put in place. Now, I want to come out with some criticism for Andrew Sullivan but only light criticism. He should not have taken the opportunity to appear on this show. I do not believe he, he is prepared for these arguments, and I do not believe he understands the arena he's stepping into, nor the technological limitations he placed on himself. Sullivan appeared on this show via prompter, meaning over Zoom, probably, or, or Skype or something. This meant that he would always be in the background and could only speak when spoken to. One of the reasons we at Timcast IRL do not do digital interviews is because when you're not sitting there in front of somebody, you can't have a real conversation. And so many of these leftists try to demand digital interviews. Nah, they'll pull funny tricks. They could disconnect. It's not worth my time or energy to say we've got a show and we've got a guest. We're going to talk for two hours to have them swap somebody else in or pull the plug. Additionally, it makes it ridiculously easy for those in person to dominate the conversation as they did with Andrew Sullivan. Now, my criticism for Sullivan is that his arguments were anti-CRT 101. It sounded like he didn't actually read anything about what they were going to be talking about and was ill-prepared to actually discuss the ideas with Jon Stewart. I'm a fan of Andrew Sullivan. I think he's a smart guy, but I don't think he was prepared for this. And they used him as... A, a practice dummy to beat upon over their digital connection. That's the name of the game. Stewart said he had already explained this, but noted housing in the GI Bill <clears throat> by noting. Sullivan said that Stewart was living on a different planet. You know, this is what really gets me too about Sullivan's argument. John Stewart made a good point about systemic racism. And the problem was Andrew Sullivan just didn't understand it. The problem John Stewart had, in my opinion, was that he assumed if someone doesn't understand it, he must be racist. Man, it's just mind-numbingly stupid that this is the kind of garbage being produced. Okay, John Stewart accurately points out there are systems in place that hold remnants of racist policy. Or I should say, systems that were created during a time of legal racism have persisted today, and while the laws have changed— and the core element of the racism has been removed, there still remains a taint. Housing is a good example. John Stewart brought it up. Redlining, blockbusting existed well into the 80s, and technically they still exist today, though people try to keep their mouths shut about it. This meant that the key mechanism by which people transfer wealth through their children, home ownership, was crippled by a racist housing market and, well, systems that were legal. 
These systems are now illegal. But the remnants of those systems remain. I firmly believe that it would be good if we were to try and find a way to restore the ability of marginalized communities to transfer wealth from one person to another. There's only one issue with people like Jon Stewart. It has nothing to do with white people at this point. You've already solved for that problem. The issue now is poverty. How do we solve for class issues, not race issues? But Jon Stewart, who has thrown himself behind the unrepentant racists, has no idea how to answer for this. I'd like to throw back to Chrissy Mayer, who said Jon Stewart struggles to read propaganda off a teleprompter, and it's because he did. He quite literally struggled to read the propaganda. Let me jump forward. Good picture for your clickbaits. Here you go. Listen to this. For however sincerely we want to reckon and listen, the truth is America has always prioritized white comfort over black survival. False. I'll black get into that in a second. have had to fight so hard for equality that they've been irreparably set back in the pursuit of equity. Notice how he uses equity and equality to mean two different things. And any real attempt to uh, repair a ton of that damage, reparation. (laughs) He was struggling to read the teleprompter. I think what happened, because I've used teleprompters before when doing like hosted segments for big networks, is that the prompter wasn't rolling fast enough. And so he saw repar, and it probably had a dash, And R-E-P-A-R, depending on what comes after, will sound different, the A sound. Reparation, repair, and it it looks like he thought, or I'm sorry, it's it's R-A, I'm not going to spell it, Uh, R-E-P-A-I-R for repair. He probably saw repa, not repar. So if he's looking at reparation, you know to say repar, but if you see R-E-P-A in a dash, you might not know it's repair. Seems like that's what may have happened with Jon Stewart. That is to say, my point is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's reading a prompter, and he has just signed on to unrepentant racism, and it's quite sad. It's quite sad. Housing. The solution, my friends, to systemic racism is not racism, as Jon Stewart would entertain. The answer is is, is class-based. The answer is maybe, I don't know, suspending property taxes for houses under a certain value or for certain income areas. That means that while these areas are overwhelmingly black because of things like redlining, this is where they specifically said that's where black people can live, it's racist. How about they say this area is going to be an opportunity zone, property taxes will be diminished or removed entirely, and then all of a sudden people are going to want to move there. People are going to want to live there. Things will improve. And it also means that there's an opportunity for lower income people to own property and transfer that property to their children to create generational wealth. Quote, I think you are not living on the same same planet most Americans are, which is why this kind of extremism, this anti-white extremism is losing popular support, Stewart said. Uh, No, Sullivan said that. Bond chimed in and said Sullivan was perpetuating racist dog tropes. I did not come on this show to sit here and argue with another white man. That's one of the reasons we don't even engage with white men. It's just absolute. It's just racist. It's just it's just it is the way they try and get by the fact that this is overtly racist is by saying racism is prejudice plus power and only white people can be racist. But at the same time, they're like Candace Owens and Larry Elder, who are black, are white supremacists. Yet they're full of it. 
Jon Stewart, grow a pair of balls, dude. Talk about sad. I remember after Occupy Wall Street, I just always wanted to see Jon Stewart's show. I always wanted to meet him and talk to him and be like, man, I love your work. And then I remember he retired and I was like, well, you know, I thought maybe one day when I was older, I'd actually be on that show. But things are really interesting. I used to wonder when I was when I was a teenager if I'd ever be on Bill Maher, real time with Bill Maher. Now I've already said no to people asking me if they wanted, you know, there have been high profile people who said, let me let me talk to Bill's people. I'm like, never going to happen. Bill Maher is lazy. He's lazy and duplicitous. And so is Jon Stewart. Because they care, they care more about pretending to be progressive than they do about their actual principles or beliefs, which makes me wonder if they ever had any in the first place. Bonds Race to Dinner, uh, oh man, founded by Regina Jackson and Sarah Rao, oh great, was, uh, 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 gathers eight to 10 women for dinner, according to NBC. She said that every single white person upholds these systems and structures of white supremacy. She said, even if they're an abolitionist or a member of the Klan, they uphold this. If I could finger snap, I would finger snap right now, Stewart said, agreeing with Bond. And then uh, Sullivan interjected and said the finger snapping, Stewart be agreeing that, with Bond that he was racist. And he said, you've been doing a pretty good job with it yourself there, Stewart said. Remarkable. John Stewart, how absolutely pathetic. Now, John Stewart's influence is not what it's used to be. And the truth be told, there are many of us who are inheriting the earth, as it were. Not that is not to say that uh, I or anyone else will take up, should, you know, take on the, the, the same role as people like John Stewart or hold the same level of clout or influence. I should say, not to myself. I certainly think uh, a Crowder, I think he's surpassed John Stewart. I think Stewart was getting like a million views on The Daily Show. Pretty sure Crowder gets more than that. Um, my show, granted, there was like it was like a half an hour show, and they were getting a million views. Between my uh, three hours of content, I get like almost two million views per day. I, th- I think it's like yeah, I think it's like one point eight. It's it, it goes up and down. Obviously, during election season, ratings are a lot higher. Probably true for the Daily Show and all that. But this is where we are, and it's sad. Quote: I think it's a mistake to focus it all on one this one individual, not focus it more on the idea that power is its own reward, whether it be in the financial industry or government. Power doesn't seed itself. And unless we can figure out a better way to balance out that power, we'll be vulnerable. John Stewart, do you know what'll happen? If you create policies based on race, you will create racist policies because it's only a matter of time before the way they're interpreted or implemented negatively impacts someone based on race. Do you want to live in that world? Apparently you do. Then you're a racist. You, you racialism, call it whatever you want. I don't want to live in a world where people are judged based on their race. That's just me. I don't know. Heard a little old message from Dr. King. Maybe, maybe uh, y'all don't agree with that anymore. Sure. And they like to come back and they like to say, conservatives want to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Blah, 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 blah. Sure, conservatives do, but uh, I'm not a conservative, and I've never been one. Even to this day, conservatives call me a leftist. No, it's that I am a traditional liberal, a social liberal, and civil libertarian who used to agree with people like Jon Stewart. But when you lack morals, ethics, and principles, when you have no standards, it's really easy for you to abandon everything you once believed in. Isn't it Bill or John? I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, would, would you like us to try and, you know, work Bill Maher into going on your show or whatever? Like, you know, I'm not saying anybody directly associated with Bill Maher's production company, but I've had high profile people on Timcast IRL and they were like, look, we, we, we work with, you know, this crew or that crew. Would you like to do this? And I just say, no, 
I was told I should. I should absolutely do it. Maybe. I went on Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan's a good guy. Because Joe Rogan's an honest guy. And Joe Rogan sometimes gets things wrong. But I've not seen Joe Rogan pull a 180 like Jon Stewart or Bill Maher. I've certainly seen Joe Rogan say, say things I disagree with. But Joe hasn't abandoned his core principles, the motivating ideology that drives him. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Let me take you back in time. I'm going to play for you this clip. Just listen. Well, this is an impressive expose. I would love to know the intrepid journalist who broke this story. 60 Minutes, the AP, uh, that guy who gets the Predators. You're, I'm just telling the whole world, you're not a pimp. You're just playing one on our show. I'm one of the whitest. And, and you played it on those tapes. Yeah, I'm one of the whitest guys ever. Are you kidding me? <laughs> First of all, you don't have to tell us you're a white guy. Uh, your pimp costume appears to be a fur coat on top of your Andover uniform. He's talking about James O'Keefe with all, a picture of James O'Keefe. Where were the real reporters on this story? You know what, investigative media? Give me a camera three. Where the hell were you? You know who broke this story? These two. You're telling me that two kids from the cast of High School Musical 3 can break this story with a video camera and their grandmother's chinchilla coat and you got nothing? They did it for $3,000. That's Blitzer's monthly beard wetback budget. It Look probably cost CNN that much just to turn on their hologram machine. I'm a fake journalist, and I'm embarrassed these guys scooped me. Let's get to work, people! Of course, Fox is loving this. So James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, receiving the praise of Jon Stewart while he mocks CNN and traditional journalists for failing to uncover acorn corruption. That was Jon Stewart. He made fun of Wolf Blitzer's beard. He made fun of James O'Keefe for wearing his pimp costume being a fur coat over his Andover uniform. See, that that was real. It was real. You could make fun of everybody. And when something important happened, you said, wow, where are we today? Ah, yes, the current Daily Show. Project Veritas creates fake news to expose fake news. So saith Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah recently criticized Biden. Good for him. Of course, this wouldn't be a, a segment on the failures of Jon Stewart and that era if we don't highlight Stephen Colbert, who said one of the most insane things which has resulted in him trending. When Peter Ducey of Fox News asked Joe Biden if he was going to use chemical weapons on Russia, Joe Biden refused to answer. So Col Colbert made fun of him, saying that he should be slapped. Colbert said Peter Ducey should be slapped for asking Joe Biden whether or not he intended to use chemical weapons on the Russians, because Joe Biden said he would. Joe Biden said if the Russians use chemical weapons, the U.S. would respond in kind. Peter Duce says, what does that mean? And he says, it'll be a measured, it'll be a significant response. But what does that mean? And he says, I'm not telling you. So Colbert says he should be slapped. Peter Ducey was saying, are you implying the use of chemical weapons? 
because that would be insane. Joe Biden wouldn't answer. Now, my my assumption, the only thing I can come up with is if Biden won't tell the world, he, he meant it, that the United States under Joe Biden will use chemical weapons on the Russians. Of course, there will be collateral damage. Peter Ducey was right to ask that question. But Colbert is a crackpot. You didn't think John Stewart was going to go that route. A lot of us didn't because John Stewart appeared on Colbert's show talking about the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis theory. And he was like, it's 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 ridiculous to deny. And even Colbert pushed back and we were like, see, this is why John Stewart bailed out because he was civil libertarian. And he and we knew that he could not maintain a show based on just running lies. But apparently the price is right. John Stewart, after so long, probably is just bored. He's probably craving that attention. You can't give it up. You want it so bad. So here he is. You know, I've certainly entertained the idea of quitting, shutting everything down. You know, why, why should I keep doing my shows? People, uh, they hate you when, for, for doing it. Some people love you for doing it. We've been swatted seven times in the past three months. We've had the bomb squad forced to come here. Why should I keep doing a thing like this? Certainly, as you know, I, I, I've talked about it before. I could just maintain a small YouTube channel, do but one 10-minute segment per day, and just scrape by. Because the reality is I don't do this for money or for success or fame. I do it because I'd be terribly bored otherwise. There are things I want to talk about. There are things I want to say, and I want a place to say them. I don't want to talk to a brick wall. It's nice to be able to talk to you. So for me, you know, I wouldn't quit this simply because I like talking about stuff. I wonder if the same feeling is true for someone like Jon Stewart. The problem is it must feel eternally painful for these people that they return to the spotlight. They talk about things they care about, and then everyone makes fun of them and people are mean to them. And then they think this doesn't feel good anymore. I used to make jokes and everybody laughed and they liked what I did. And so Jon Stewart says, what do I have to say to make you laugh again? And they were like, bend your knee to the cult, fillet the state. And he went, okay. Now for me, I suppose, look, we've, we've waxed and waned in terms of viewership and I'll just do my thing. During 2020, I was averaging about half a million views on an individual segment. Now it's like 200. So it's down quite a bit. I mean, the truth is people were paying attention during the election and they're paying attention less now. So it could just be that. That's that's fairly, you know, that's a likely likelihood. We were getting uh, close to 100,000 live viewers on Timcast IRL in 2020. Election season was big. Now we average around 40,000. It's a big show. 40,000 concurrent viewers going out to about a total viewership of maybe 700, 800,000 uh, in the past month or so. In the winter, it was a little bit higher. It'll, it'll likely kick up again at the end of the year. I don't look at my viewership on these videos and then think to myself, I better change what I say to improve viewership. I've done segments like CNN Plus, uh, just the other day. It didn't get that many views, and I don't care. I just, I'll talk about what I want to talk about. Talked about Chris Rock and Will Smith because it was a big story, and I really wanted to express my opinions on it. I don't care about how many people are watching. I care that I can do this, and I have a mission and a desire to call out people like Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert. These people that I believe to be genuinely duplicitous and evil. They're, they're, they're intent upon just saying whatever they need to say so that people clap for them. They don't actually care about what's happening in this country. They just want to be on the spotlight. I got to tell you, man, it's really 
awful being in the spotlight. It's genuinely awful. Anybody who claims to want it, man, I hope you get what you wished for. I hope you absolutely get all the fame and desire you want. The people who, who want to be famous. Because uh, there, there, there's, there, you, man, I'm not going to pretend to be Brad Pitt, right? <clears throat> I could not imagine not being able to go out and go shopping. But even as it stands right now, with how big Timcast IRLs is, is getting and has been and the rest of my show, often when I go out places, they're, they're, you know, people recognize me, of course. And sometimes it sucks, especially when you're going to a city and you don't know if the reason someone's doing something is because they know who you are or don't. I'd imagine if you were Brad Pitt or some celebrity like Tom Cruise, everyone just knows who you are no matter what you do. That is not, that, that does not sound fun. Because I've only experienced a little bit of it. I couldn't imagine experiencing that high degree. But these people like Stewart and Colbert, you know what? Maybe they really do want it. They're desperate. They crave it. These are sick people, man. What we need is, what was that Roman emperor's name? Cincinnatus? Was that his name? I'm getting his name wrong. The guy who was a farmer became emperor for like two weeks and then said, I don't want to be emperor anymore. It was an emergency. They said, here's the powers. And he was like, okay, well, I'm done. You can have the powers back. I'm out. You don't get very many people like that. Colbert ain't it. Stewart ain't it. And so many of the people we looked up to have become corrupt. With smiles on their faces, they will spit on you and reject everything they once stood for. John Stewart calling Andrew Sullivan a racist through implication is not John Stewart. John Stewart was supposed to have the honest conversation that made you feel like he was authentic. Nah, he ain't there. He'll say what he needs to say. I'll leave it there, my friends. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.